Good morning, fellowship. Great to be with you guys. Really good to see you. My name is Rob Sweet, and I know I don't know everybody in the room. Some of you have been coming here for a while, but we just haven't had a chance to meet. Maybe some of you are new, and it's been a little bit since I've said this, so let me just invite you. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to get to know you as best as I'm able to. Best way to do that is after the message, just come on down front. I promise no one's going to think you're like, having some personal crisis or anything like that. Although, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. And I want to mention that as well. But even if you just want to say hello, come down. I'd love to say hello. You can do that after the service. It would be a pleasure to meet you. Let me welcome our guests, especially um, a fellowship here. We have a monthly event called Intro to Fellowship that I would encourage you to take advantage of. It's the best place to find out more about our church, to learn how to get connected. Uh, it is the first Sunday of every month, and you can find out more information at connectfellowship.com. So if you've not taken advantage of that yet, I want to encourage you to do so. And I want to spend some time this morning before we jump into the meat of the message to recap last week. Because if you missed last week, and I know a number of you uh, weren't able to be here for various reasons, it was, one, it was a unique Sunday in the history of fellowship. And, you know, the smallest reason that it was unique was because we did something with technology that was a little bit different. As you know, we have two campuses here at Franklin and then Brentwood, uh, Franklin Road and Concord Road on the corner there. And we were able to live stream the two and kind of be together so I taught from Brentwood last week and I was live streamed here. I heard there were a couple of glitches and uh, Lloyd was here and live streamed to Brentwood for his part of the message and there were a couple of glitches there. But even with a glitched technology, we still had a remarkable morning. We were able to be together. And the reason we wanted to be together is we had something significant to share with you. And I wanna set it up for you and recap last week for those of you that missed it. Our elders a couple months back took a day away to ask the question, what is God up to? Like, where is God on the move where we should be joining him? Where is the wind of God blowing, the breath of God, the spirit of God? Where is he moving? And one of the answers that we came to in this one-day retreat was he's moving through the remarkable generosity, unexpected things in the middle of a year of pandemic and craziness that God has just put into our hands. And when we, I think we met, it was late January, it was late January, early February. We were just coming off the heels of the biggest global Christmas offering ever in the history of our church. $1.1 million was given by you all, not for fellowship, but for the world. Less under our tree, more for the world. And we were so taken by the fact that that happened in the year of the pandemic. We were so taken by that. Uh, there's many other examples I won't have time to unpack uh, that we shared with you last week, but one that you wouldn't know about unless you were here last week, we were given the largest single gift in the history of our church a month or two back by a family that had a significant financial event happen. And they said, we feel led to, to give $500,000 to fellowship and we wanna pray together with you all about how that money could be used. And that's this conversation you say yes to. It's like, I'll sit down with you and pray about that with you. And we did. And here's where God led us. We think he has amazing things in store for the future of our church. And so one of the things we wanna do is we wanna remove the ankle weights of our mortgage. If God would allow it, we would love for their $500,000 gift to be a lead gift that we could all join together with to finally zero out our mortgage, which by the way, we've had for about 15 years. And at one point in time, it was as high as $12 million. Now it's 
million. Let's put the math on the screen. I'll walk this through with you as well. 1.6 million is the current mortgage balance, minus 500,000, this family that, that's giving this lead gift. 180,000 had already been designated, designated giving to the mortgage. So obviously we'll apply that as well. And then we, we looked around our, our spending and we asked our staff, hey, because of your good stewardship, we want to apply the underspending compared to our budget that we have, which is around that $100,000, $120,000 that we're able to also apply to the mortgage, which leaves only half of the original balance. Guys, that is within eyesight. Like that's like the light at the end of the tunnel kind of moment for us as a church. And we wanna push through it. By the way, I know the mortgage technically is for our Brentwood property, yet we are one church. We have one board of elders. We have one staff. We have one mission we have one budget. So it's our mortgage. It's Fellowship Bible Church's mortgage. And, and by the way, you know, think about it. Maybe you've never been to the Franklin Cam- uh, Brentwood campus. Maybe you've only attended here. The only reason that we're able to be here in this wonderful facility is because of the sacrifice of a small group of people. Some of them gave up their life savings so we could be on that property. And God has grown this church and blessed this church. And then that campus was able to launched this campus, and here we are. There's one other piece of good news I wanna show with you while this math is up. So we said, we're just gonna give between now and May 9th and see what happens. Like, we're not gonna draw this out. We're not gonna keep asking until the need is met. We're just gonna say, let's see what happens for about four weeks here between now and May 9th. And in one week, $260,000 came in. In one week, that's a third of the need. I'm telling you guys, God's doing something. Like this, this whole like the wind is blowing and, and generosity is just is passing through our fingers is a real deal. So here's where we are right now. $540,000 remains. And so we've started thinking, ooh, maybe we'll go past it. And guys, we asked the question on the elder team, what happens if we go past $800,000? And you know what we feel like the spirit is leading us to? Give it away. Every dollar that comes in, above and beyond our need to pay off this mortgage. We're not gonna keep it. We're not gonna save it. We're gonna, we're gonna pay it forward. We're gonna give it away to our local partners. And there's one partner in particular that has a significant need in God's timing right now. El Shaddai Christian Church, Spanish-speaking congregation that we've been a partner with for years and years and years. They've been displaced from their original building since the 2010 flood. You heard it right. Not the 2021 sort of kind of flood, the 2010 big flood. They have not been in their home since then. And this is the year they're going to their body and they're saying, we've got the, the, the um, approvals from the government and all that, all, that, all that stuff's done. If we can just raise the funds, we're able to move into our new building by the end of 2021. That's their goal. We would love to come alongside them. So guys, this is an amazing opportunity. Lloyd and I were talking this week and you know, Lloyd's been around a little while. I joke with him about that. I kid with him about that. I'm like, Lloyd, you've been around a, a little longer than me, which is true. And here's what we were saying. We just haven't seen anything quite like this. And Lloyd, Lloyd is saying, Lloyd, Lloyd would say that even with his context being here over 20 years. I don't want y'all to miss out on this. And so we're gonna be talking about this a little bit, but the, the key through all of this is the series that we're gonna dig into this morning. And I'll come back at the end of the service and tell you a little bit more about how to give and why to give. But guys, if it's not on your heart to give, don't give. You know, we're not guilting you into giving, we're inviting you into where we see the wind blowing. And this is just really exciting. So let, let, me, let me just 
say that this morning is gonna be all about laying a foundation for this series. It's gonna be all about talking about the theology of generosity. And it's been blowing my mind as I've been studying it. Open your Bibles to Genesis. What a good place to start when you're gonna be talking about a biblical theology of anything. And we're gonna start talking about a theology of generosity. You know, if we're going to become a more generous people, the key is right thinking about generosity. We have to change our mindset. We're gonna look at a lot of scripture this morning. So get your fingers ready. I'm gonna be doing a lot of reading of scripture. Uh, and, and this is um, really significant for the rest of the series. So I hope you're gonna dial into it. We tend to think of generosity as a um, exclusively human attribute. In other words, uh, I don't know about you, but I haven't run into any generous animals. Animals in their animal instinct are wired towards self-preservation. They're not generous per se. But generosity is actually not a human attribute. Generosity is an attribute of God that human beings reflect. When you encounter a truly generous man or woman, and, and by the way, I hope you understand by the end of this morning that, that the first thing of generosity is not money. Money is like the small part of the equation that flows after your whole being becomes more generous. You're generous with your time. You're generous with your spirit. You're generous with your countenance. You're generous with your love. You're generous with your time. And of course, your money is going to fall out. So, so let's remove from our heads the idea that generosity is just about money. And, and I think you're going to see that as we walk through this morning. But when you encounter a truly generous man or woman, you're experiencing an aspect of the image of God whether they are a believer or not, they are demonstrating a little glimpse of God's image. They, they are a bit of a mirror reflecting the true image of God. Think of it this way. Any generosity we have as human beings is derived. It is derived from and a shadow of God. That's our starting point for our theology of generosity. And we see this in Genesis. Look at verse one. I'm not gonna put this verse on the screen. Just look at it. In the beginning, God created. When we first meet God in the Bible, what is he doing? Shout it out. Yes, yes, thank you. He is creating. He is creating. Creation is itself an act of generosity. It is an act of sharing. And I'm not talking about just the, the creation of the world, you know, certainly that, but, but even your creativity. Many of you in the room, you're creatives. You, know, you, you work in the arts, you do things. Even if you don't work in the arts, you have creation in you. you. You're a creative person, again, made in God's image. Anytime we create, it's an act of sharing. Gen our creation itself is generosity. And so we just see from the very first sentence of the scripture, the generosity of God exploding out into the creativity of God. And I'm gonna skip down and, and let's look at uh, verse, starting in verse 28, we're gonna pick up the creation account on day six, okay, which is the creation of mankind. In the first five days, God made this amazing, incredible universe that's all around us. And then on day six, he made human beings and placed them in the middle of this landscape that was teeming with life. And this is what he says to the human beings, verse 28. And God blessed 
Now there's more generosity. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of, and the, of, the, of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given generosity you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given, generosity, every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Guys, when it says God saw everything he had made, you could also say God saw everything he had given. And behold, it was very good. I want you to think about this. In God's pre, like eternal pre-existence before he created anything, he was satisfied. He was not lacking anything. He was not unfulfilled. He was not incomplete. Why did he create? To share, to give, to allow this perfection that is in him to spill outside of him into others. Why did he create the heavens and the earth? To share, but drill a little bit deeper. Why did he create them the way he created them? Why mountains and streams and, and natural wonders that take our breath away? Why 400,000 species of flowers instead of 400? Why creatures on the bottom of the sea that we will never see? Why uncountable stars and galaxies? Why sunrises and sunsets? Why more colors than our eyes could see, more sounds than our ears could discern? The creation around us is an extravagant act of generosity. As one author put it, God designed with superfluous creativity. Generosity is God's predisposition. It's the first thing we learn about him in the scripture. God introduces himself to us in the Bible this way. In the beginning, God created. God gave. And in creation, God is shouting abundance, abundance, abundance. So much abundance, it's overflowing. And so the very first thing we learn from God about generosity is that generosity is not just being inclined to give. Generosity is overflowing in such a way that you're just giving and there's a sense of you just can't even stop it because it's so joyful, it's so wonderful. This sharing of all that you have and even all that you are is an overflow of life inside of you. Maybe think of it this way. Generosity is not the water that wets the sponge it is the water that saturates the sponge so that it is drenched to overflowing. 
So this mindset of abundance in God's creation is the way that the ancient Hebrew people were taught to see the world. God gave them the theology that is true about himself and the creation around them. And this worldview was shaped in them by the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, the creation account, the Psalms especially. Uh, So many of the Psalms give us word pictures of God's generosity in the creation. And I want us to look at one. And go ahead and turn to Psalm 104. And while you're turning there, let me just say, the Psalms were the soundtrack of the lives of the Hebrew people. They grew up hearing these Psalms sung by their parents when their mothers were cleaning and cooking and washing. When their fathers were out in the fields, they were reciting, they were singing. These Psalms created their worldview as their soundtrack. And so you get to Psalm 104, and what Psalm 104 is, is a retelling of the creation account with an emphasis on how the generosity of God has blessed the earth. And this was the foundational worldview that the Hebrew people understood, the world around them and the God who created it. I'm going to start in verse 10, and I'll read down to verse 18, and then we'll skip ahead. Let's look at Psalm 104, beginning in verse 10. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Such beautiful writing, by the way. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart Pause there for just a minute. Do you see how Hebrew theology, they understood that everything they have was not from their own efforts. Everything they have is a fruit of the creation. God made a world that was just teeming with potential. And we human beings have have just been, you know, harnessing that potential, extracting that potential for everything that we eat, everything we drink, everything we we put on our skin and and all of these things that we enjoy today. Let's keep going. Verse 16, the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them, the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. You see how everything has its home in God's creation. Verse 27, skip down to verse 27. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. Now look at verse 30. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. Spirit's breath. And you renew the face of the ground. Verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. Guys, next time you go out into creation, you know, you go to the East Tennessee where the mountains are, you go down to the beach or you go, you know, anywhere where it's just beautiful creation. I mean, even around us, take this Bible with you, open up to Psalm 104, look around you and just read and just take it all in. This this amazing picture of generosity. Think about how difficult life was for the people who were reading these, singing these, hearing these. The author who wrote this, 3,000 years ago, this was written. 
just having enough food and water and shelter was a really big deal for them. They couldn't even have imagined the comforts that you and I have today. But their foundational worldview, even in a, 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 a land and a life that sometimes living was hard to come by, even in that context, their worldview was grounded in a theology that saw the world around them as a place of abundance and saw the God of the world around them as a generous provider. That is biblical theology in the Old Testament about who God is and what he does. Generosity is the core of God. It seeps out of him. He cannot help himself. He is a creative giver. He is a generous God. Two months ago, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Eric taught a, a, a passage. Um, you remember the one about the birds and the flowers. We're gonna come back to that text uh, in a little bit. But he showed you a clip from the Bible Project video. They, they did a video on generosity. And, and guys, they just captured this idea so well. And so I wanna show you the whole video. This one's about five minutes long. I think it'll be well worth our time. And here's what I wanna say just to set it up and then we'll, we'll play it right out of this. What if, rather than thinking of God's generosity just in a theological framework, what if we thought of it as God throwing a party? Let's take a look. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. 
and it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoil party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. And scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. So helpful. What an interesting idea. What a helpful idea. Just imagine God as a generous host. I want to go to the text that we talked about a couple of months ago the text that they referenced in this Bible Project video about how Jesus saw the world and how Jesus talked about the world. And, you know, when we studied it in the Sermon on the Mount, we read it from Matthew's account in Matthew chapter six. I wanted to look at Luke's account. Same text, but a parallel passage. Turn to Luke chapter 12. And the reason I want to look at Luke's account, and he's saying the same things, but he's adding some details it's a little bit longer, and I want you to see some things in this that I think are going to be very helpful for shaping this theology, how Jesus saw the world. In fact, as we read it, as I read it and you follow along, I want you to focus on Jesus' worldview. Fo try to understand how Jesus saw the world that we live in. Let's pick up Luke chapter 12, picking up in verse 22. 22. And he said to his disciples... Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. 
They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oh man, there's a lot there. Do you see how Jesus perceives the world? He sees it as a place of abundance, a place of plenty. Do you see how he perceives the God who created the world? He sees him as a generous father. That's the word he uses, a generous father who's predisposed to giving. And so Jesus was not denying the reality of brokenness and poverty and need, but he's saying there's a higher truth than all of that. And the higher truth is that the Father's hands are open, not closed. The Greek word for generous, by the way, there, there's several Greek words that are translated into English as generous, but the most prominent one, we, we, it carries this idea of being ready to distribute. Like something is in your, on your fingertips. It's like ready, ready to go, ready to be given away. It, it's, it's this image of your hands being open. And, and for God, what Jesus is reminding them is all that God has and all that God is is rolling off his fingertips towards you if you would just trust him. And so this is why I love this graphic that our uh, art team, our visual design team put together. And by the way, a lot of work and thought and discussion, even prayer goes into the art that accompanies our sermon series. I love the hands of God. The open hands. I even love that you know, subtle movement in the background where it just kind of looks like the vapor or the breath or the wind that's kind of flowing out of the hands of God. What I'm about to say right now, some of you in the room are watching online, you really need to hear this. If you want to know God's posture towards you, Imagine his hands open in your direction. That's the image. That's the picture. 
If you really actually believe God's hands are open and not just in a generic, oh, I love the world kind of way, but open-handedness toward you, toward you, toward Rob, toward JJ, toward Joe, toward Julie, toward Todd. I mean, just going around the room, God's hands open toward you. If you really start to get that and believe it and understand it the way Jesus did, and the way Jesus was urging his disciples to, it changes everything. I don't actually think I'm exaggerating. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. It changes everything. Let me, let me unpack that a little bit. The first thing it changes is it destroys the fear inside of you and replaces it with faith. It displaces fear with faith. Guys, one of our greatest struggles in life by far is a lack of trust in God. And you come by that naturally, okay? You're not born renewed, okay? You, you are born with fear. You are born with anxiety. You are born with the tension that comes with wondering if you're going to be provided for, literally from your first heartbeat. So one of our greatest struggles in life is actually learning to sort of believe something new that goes beyond that natural human fleshy instinct. We either doubt God's ability to provide for us or we doubt his good intentions to provide for us. In other words, our doubts tend to go in one of two directions. Either I don't know that God is actually real, i.e. powerful enough to really provide for me, or I don't believe God is actually good, or at least he's not good to me. He doesn't love me personally like this kind of way. This is the two categories of doubts that we kind of carry with us. And these doubts... They, they, they get under our faith, they, they root in our trust, and they eat away at the trust we have in God, and they cause all kinds of problems in our lives, all kinds of problems. This is why Jesus reassures his disciples in verse 32. Let's look at verse 32 with me again. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Little flock. I love how personal that is. He's talking to this little ragtag group of 12, you know, plus some others, some women and others that are following around. And of all the world, it's a little flock. He's talking to this little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a great verse to memorize. And by the way, what a great verse to personalize. Fear not, little child. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, oh, you small faith one. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Put your name in there. You know, put your situation in there. Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Notice he doesn't even give to you begrudgingly. It's his good pleasure to give. It is who he is. It flows out of him. He gets joy in giving. What does he give you? The kingdom. Now, guys, this was not just some prophet reminding the Hebrew people that God desires to give them the kingdom. This was the king 
of the kingdom who had come to usher in the kingdom in himself. And he's saying, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus is is pointing to himself. He's saying, I am here. Fear not, I am here. I am the kingdom. I am the king. I have come to usher in the kingdom. And there's no reason to fear. And guys, if you can get this, if you can see in Jesus Christ, God's ultimate gift to you, and not just kind of know it in your theology, but allow that truth of your theology to saturate your heart and transform you, it will change everything. Your fear will begin to be rooted out by faith. And then from that place of faith, you will begin to open your hands. You won't be able to help it anymore because when there's nothing to be afraid of, you just open your hands. Guys, when you're not afraid, money just becomes money. It's not your security. When you're not afraid, time just becomes time. It's not this urgent matter of doing everything right and fitting everything into your schedule. When, when, when you have nothing to fear anymore, then sort of a countenance of love toward other people can flow out of you because you're no longer self-conscious. You're no longer self-protective. I have nothing to fear. I'm undefeatable because it is God's good pleasure to give me the kingdom in Jesus Christ and I open my hands. Here's the progression. He says, fear not, because it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, there's an implied so in the beginning of verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches, no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's how it works, guys. I'm gonna lay it out for you. Here's the progression of your heart. Trust transforms fear into faith. Faith opens your hands to be generous. And generosity relocates your heart to its true home. So we talk a lot at fellowship about wholehearted life in Jesus. And let me put it in the context of generosity. Wholehearted life in Jesus is not what your hands hold. It's not like the good life that you are enjoying and experiencing in Middle Tennessee with family going right and, you know, this place of beauty and this you know, cultural thing that we're wrapped up into. Wholehearted life in Jesus is not what your hands hold, but what flows through your hands. Wholehearted life in in Jesus is the joy and the experience of being remade and rebirthed with Jesus Christ at the center of your heart because you were made in the image of a generous God and you start to become a generous human being. And your money is just a reflection of that, guys. That's like almost the last thing that, that happens. But I think it can work the other way too. I think opening our hands to money actually can kind of locate us where God's spirit is designing to take us. I'm gonna wrap up with this. When you believe that God is a generous host, and not just generically, but personally to you, and he has good intentions, that he is a loving father for you, then you can begin to enjoy his creation, not hoard it. 
You can begin to live with less anxiety and, and, and less fear. You can begin to rest. You rest in his provision. And guys, that's gonna enable you to take all kinds of crazy steps of faith. Adventure awaits. How does a child of God respond to the generosity of God? I'm gonna close with, uh, with this slide. All throughout scripture, we'll talk about this each week, but there's only, you know, there's two things that God calls his people to do in response to his generosity. Give thanks and give generously. That's what we do. Give thanks, give generously. So we'll put this application slide up this morning. What would it look like for you to respond to his generosity in these two ways? Give thanks, give generously. So let's, Ben can go ahead and come on up here. Give thanks. Guys, that has to be your natural response. And when you understand this, when you truly understand the gospel, if you truly understand the love of Jesus Christ for you, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your unrepentance, he's moving towards you. He's moving towards you even right now. You can just do one thing. It's just like, thank you. Thank you, thank you. That's the response of your heart. And then as that begins to happen, you'll be able to give, you'll be able to love, you'll be able to loosen up. You'll be able, your whole countenance will begin to change and the money will follow, et cetera, et cetera. Give thanks, give generously. That is our response and we'll keep talking about our response as we move through this series. Let me pray for us and then we will sing. Father, you are a good and gracious God. You are generous in all that you are and all who you are. Father, we are made to be that way. We are created in your image and we live in this place of fear and anxiousness. Would you help us to trust you? Would you restore to us the sweetness of childlike faith? Just believing that our father will care for us. And for men and women in the room that are just having a hard time with that right now, oh, Father, would, would you enable them not to feel judged by you, but to feel cared for and loved and reassured? Just speak to them gently. Speak to them through these words of Jesus. Fear not, little one. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom so, Father, would you split us open, do a work in us, and do a work through us. May our church not be the same. And I believe if our church is no longer the same, then our community would no longer be the same. Something will happen. And, oh, God, would you do that? It's a gift we're asking for. We're coming to you. Open our hearts. Pry them open if needed with your gentle strength. And may you move your wind in and through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.